Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. For more in-depth perspectives and interesting stories, sign up for our daily newsletter at tvo.org slash daily. In 2016, we met two up-and-coming local performers who aspired to careers in the glamorous but sometimes maligned tradition of drag. Have a look. I want to bring in some historical context because drag has been around for a long time. Now, in the beginnings, drag performance has existed since the days of Shakespeare when men played female roles and later bearded ladies attracted audiences and circuses. By the mid-20th century, drag had gained mainstream attention. In the 1960s, a freedom-loving counterculture and unisex fashion moved drag from the stage into the street, and there was also a greater interest in gender fluidity. In the 1970s, glam rock artists such as Elton John, David Bowie, and Queen wore makeup and feminine clothing, blurring the gender lines. The Rocky Horror Picture Show experimented with sexual social norms. By the 1980s and 90s, there was a moral backlash due to the AIDS crisis, and that pushed drag from the pop scene back into the fringes of the gay scene. By the 2000s, popular reality show RuPaul's Drag Race gave viewers an appreciation for the art of drag, the people who perform it, and the social issues it raises. Juicebox, what's drag culture like today? Um... It's a lot more mainstream, I feel. Like, a lot more people know about it. They don't really know everything about it, but there's a lot more people, like, if you ever... If I ever tell someone, like, oh, well, I do drag, they'll be like, oh, my God, like, like RuPaul, or like, uh, Latrice Royale. Like, they'll say stuff like that because they watch the show, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like... And it's also a little bit a little bit more accepted. It's less kind of, like, in the gutter and kind of in the background. What do you owe that to? What do you think... That is. Well, it's definitely, it, it is definitely that it's a little bit more in pop culture now, so mm -hmm. it's, it's, it feels a little bit easier to do, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and it, I mean, the RuPaul's reality show, do you think that has changed drag or how people perceive drag because it's yeah. a reality well, television? Well, they've kind of dumbed, dumbed it down. Is that a good word for it? A bit. They, they kind of sugarcoated it, I feel like. Um, how so? Drag is drag has so many layers to it, you know what I mean? And it, there's there's so much struggle with it. There's so much there's so many more dynamics with drag. There's so many friendships and complications and everything. And I feel like RuPaul's Drag Race is amazing for what it's done in the mainstream culture, and it's really showed everybody, you know, this is who we are. But at the same time. Now, when people see drag queens, just like you said, they they compare you. Mm -hmm. So before, when we started doing drag, before the show, you know, we were just our own person. And now, you know, that people are watching the show who have never seen a drag queen before, they're thinking, well, you must be like that. And you have to be like this person. And there's so many different unique layers to drag that um, sometimes the show gets misconstrued. Oh, so you think yeah. they, to um, maybe like because people watch the show and they see the characters because they are characters. Mm -hmm. They're on the reality show. Yeah. They're all playing a part. So people now assume that if they see uh, a drag queen, they should be portraying maybe like a stereotype or a caricature yeah, one from the exactly. show. 
Like even if there's like even a, a costume or something or a look that they've done on the show mm-hmm. and that's something that you've done before or something you've always wanted to do and then you end up like doing it, mm-hmm. you're immediately compared and it becomes a mirror image, right? Well, well I wanted to talk to you about misconceptions. Um, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you experienced from performing drag? Um, I found that it's, um, people think it's a kink. For, for me. Like a sexual like fetish Like a sexual thing? fetish thing. Like yeah. some, some people think that I do it because it turns me on or because I want to like, like they think I'm like some kind of sex worker or something in it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely, for me personally, it definitely is not that. Mm-hmm. It can be for somebody else and that's totally fine. But for me, it's more the, the performance and the, the costumes and I just, I just like it. I think it's fun. And for you, Scarlett? Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people think like drag and being trans are the same thing and, and a lot, I'll say oh, I'm a drag queen and, and so many people are like oh so you live your life as a woman and there's a big there's a big difference between you know being transgender and mm-hmm. being a drag queen you know they like transgender people they live their life every single day mm-hmm. as that chosen gender but we kind of do this for like the glam and the and the excitement and kind of you know just the fun of it so a lot of people kind of misconstrue like oh so you live your life as a woman every day. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the reason. Some people are like, what's a drag queen? Like, what does that mean? You're a, like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, because it's women kind can of also, funny. Because women can also dress up as yeah, men, right? Yeah, bio queens. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or there's even women who dress up as drag queens. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some other things that you want people to know about drag queens? That they might not know. What do people not know? But what, <laughs> don't, what don't they know? Like, how much money do you it? spend on uh, Yeah, it would be very nice to know how much money I spend. Much money, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the wigs and the hair. A lot, a lot of people see it, actually, as, um, oh, they must have so much fun and partying. And, mm-hmm. like, they're, it's so easy to do that. And I feel like a lot of people actually go into it going, oh, that's so easy. It must be mm-hmm. so much fun to just party and drink and do everything. But when you're kind of on a level... Um, where you're doing it almost as a career. I do it as a career. This is my full-time job. Juice mm-hmm. is pretty much doing it as a career. It's expensive. The hair, the makeup, the costumes. We get most of our costumes custom-made. It adds up. Yeah, <laughs> and, and sometimes it adds up more than what we're getting paid, and you kind of have to be like, ooh, yeah. slow down a you little bit. Look at your month yeah. and be like, okay, how many gigs do I have this month? How much money am I going to make? Why does that <laughs> costume cost this costume? much? Yeah. <laughs> so why do you keep doing it? It's... Great. It's it's exciting, mm-hmm. honestly. I I would um, I never thought I'd be here in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I if you asked me five ten years ago if I'd be doing this, I would have laughed. I've you know I've traveled the world doing this, and I never for once thought I could be doing this as a career, and I could be doing like a hobby and just having fun and meeting people and you know inspiring people. I have so many drag queens that inspire me, and then. People come to our shows and they're like fans of ours, and it's just—it's uh, crazy to think that like we have fans and we're inspiring, mm-hmm. you know, youth and other people. And how do you inspire youth and other mm-hmm. people? It, it depends. Like it can be anything from just going on stage and sort of having that confidence can inspire somebody. Or even like a friend of mine was even telling me a story the other day where she had done. Somewhere Over the Rainbow uh, on stage. Um, my friend Cassandra, Cassandra Moore, she just did Somewhere Over the Rainbow on stage. And um, this was right after Orlando. And I guess one of the boys in the audience had just, like, connected with that song and just, like, burst into tears and, like, thanked her after being like, you know, thank you so much because I haven't been able to cry. And that was sort of my opportunity to sort of let my emotions out. So that it can be something as small as that. 
Right. Do you consider, I mean, you brought up Orlando and mm -hmm. the tragedy that happened. Um, do you consider drag a political act? I, I do. A, a, lot of, a lot of queens, um, you know, they put on a wig and they, and they, you know, run around and they think it's just a party. And a lot of the time it is a party. Mm -hmm. But what, especially after um, the tragedy in Orlando, I've realized that this whole time we've been activists. And, you know, and now is kind of our time to stand up and, and to, to do something about it. And even little things like, like going back to inspiring people, little things like us going to the village and having a drink with our friends and sitting there and, you know, just being ourselves, that's us being activists, you know, like kind of being who we are and being not afraid. And, and this is kind of inspiring people to do that. And I, I would love to do more and I'm always wanting to do more. You know, we, we have a voice, we have like some sort of level in the, like in the public eye and in, in our community. So we, I feel like we need to do we need to go above and beyond and do, do more, right? Juice box? Well, I mean, you're, you're given a platform, right? You're mm -hmm. on a stage, there's lights on you. If you don't take that opportunity to sort of kind of become an activist or be able to say those things, it's, it's sort of a waste, yeah. right? But do you ever feel unsafe? Sometimes. Like, yeah? Yeah. In what situations? Well, I, um, m me personally, I live north of the city. I live at, at Don Mills and Shepherd, and um, I have to cab everywhere. So even I don't feel safe taking the subway. I don't feel safe if I'm doing something outside of the village. I don't feel safe from even my car to the venue, right? Like my boyfriend will drop me off and I'll like grab my stuff, hat on and just like walk right in. Like it's, it's when you're not in that sort of like confined space of church that and wealthy, space, yeah. that safe space or those bars. Um, like we've known too many people who've gotten like beaten up just walking right? Or even mistaken for a drag queen and they call them like a tranny or something and they beat them up and take their things just for existing, right? So I, I personally don't feel safe in some of those areas. Four years later, and the careers for both of them have taken off. They were contenders on the first season of the television series, Canada's Drag Race, that's currently airing on Crave. With us now to find out about that and more, we're pleased to welcome back Juicebox, who joins us tonight from Toronto. Hi, Juicebox. Hi, how are you? So nice to see you. I mean, I wish we could do this in person, but this is the second best thing. Thanks for, so much for being on the show. No worries. So you, both you and Scarlett ended up on uh, Canada's Drag Race, the first season. How amazing is that? I mean, it's pretty wild because it definitely wasn't something, especially when we had seen you originally, that we thought would ever really happen. Like we had just put it in our minds that it was just like never going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so to have it actually be a reality this year is like kind of nuts. Um, how has that changed your career since being on the show? Um, I mean, I have a lot more uh, opportunities. Uh, a lot more people like know who we are. We have a lot more exposure. But I mean, with co with a COVID world, mm. it kind of just feels the same. <laughs> it feels the same. Um, four years ago, you were on the show, as I mentioned. What was it like for you? What was how was the show received? Uh, the TVO interview? Yes. Really well. Oh, yeah. really, really well. I had a lot of people say that they loved it, that they thought it was really fun and um, educational for a couple of people who weren't sort of uh, in the know about what was going on within the drag community, especially in Canada. Mm -hmm. 
I, I find it interesting because uh, we had, well, I, I had a few comments um, and it surprised me because drag performers have been around as far back as ancient Greece. Uh, there were drag performers during Shakespearean times, yet it still seems to make some people uncomfortable. Why do you think that is? I mean, you're never going to make everybody happy, right? And there's always going to be people who are uncomfortable with different lifestyles that aren't their own or what they see as normal. So you're always going to get those people, but it's just about sort of ignoring them. And hopefully one day they can be educated enough to sort of open their minds up to different things. But if they're not, then that's their loss. And they just live this like sad little lifestyle in their own little bubble. Do you find that within the last four years that maybe you have a bit more support or meet, or people are, are more in tune to the culture? A little bit, yeah. It, it happens a little bit every year. Like you find uh, people who aren't so uh, in tune to it sort of just fade away. And then uh, you start to get a lot more support as it becomes more and more mainstream. Uh, because now it's like, it's like a juggernaut like there's like rupaul's drag race live like in vegas and there's like drag queens everywhere you have like drag queen story time in libraries and stuff so i feel it is quite a lot more mainstream now four years later so it's easier to sort of get into a newer generation and sort of change their ideas and be a lot more welcoming to to those things well because i know that when we all look at you there's the glam it seems so much fun but i'm guessing that behind the screens when you're not on stage it might be a different reality yeah, I mean, I've never gotten a, a whole lot of flack um, in person. Uh, it always is a little bit more online by people who kind of are, get behind their keyboards and they can say whatever they want. But in person, face to face, I've, I've never had a whole lot of trouble. When we, you were on the show with Scarlett four years ago, we did talk about uh, RuPaul's Drag Race. And you said um, that you thought the show kind of watered down queen uh, drag queen culture. Has your perception changed since being on the show or do you still think that to be the truth? I, I mean, I, yes and no, it is still, it's an incredible show and it's an incredible platform, uh, it, but it is, it, and it does show quite a large variety of drag and it has shown quite a large variety of drag over the years because it, it has grown. The, but there is, there's no way to sort of cover every facet of drag with a TV show that only has 12 people on it, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's growth and it, and it takes time, but um, hopefully more doors will open and I love all drag, so. Well, on the show too, um, we it's not all uh, glam and you also get really deep about your own individual stories. Um, and you talked about the fact that you've been sober for a few years going into taping the show. Did, was that something that you wanted to talk about or is that something that just came up and you thought that um, you were in a safe space to share? I, I mean, both sort of, it was something that I did want to touch on because I wanted to be really visible with, uh, with what I would, with the way that I lived my life and what I had struggled with in the past, because I know from my experience watching the show, when I see someone open up, it can really help other people. So I wanted to be able to open up about those things. So hopefully I could help someone. Uh, or I could kind of give someone visibility so they could be able to take the proper steps for themselves to create a better life for them. And not to get too much into your business, but I have to ask, um, how did you end up on the path to sobriety? 
Uh, it was just for me it was just one day I had just sort of realized like this wasn't the person that I wanted to be anymore there was a lot of things that were coming up and people were saying things to me about how I was acting when I was drinking and I was sort of realizing the way that it was affecting my relationships and realizing the way it was affecting my everyday life and my health so I was just like okay I'm done (laughs) was it nerve-wracking um if you could take if you could think back to the first time that you did perform without drinking um did it affect your performance or were you nervous how did you feel I don't remember you don't remember I don't remember. So obviously it wasn't that of, uh, that much of a big deal. <laughs> I, I never really needed it to get on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I just, it was something that was so accessible to me. It was just something that I, f- I felt like I would partake in because I wouldn't binge drink and then be like, okay, now I can perform. Mm-hmm. Right. It was one of those things where I would be, I would start with my cocktail and then I would just continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Cause you're at me, a party, right? Yeah, you're at a party and you're enjoying the party and you're partaking in, you know, everything that's there. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was just um, just slowing that down and eventually just sort of phasing the people out who had influenced me negatively and kind of creating a better situation in life for myself. So the night that you, for the show that you were on, um, your challenge, I just realized you had to create a, a dress you had to create something that had to do with much music. I was a much music BJ back in the day. Um, oh, but it's kind of like um, the amount of skills that you need to do, uh, like to sew and all that. So can you sew now? Okay, so here's the thing. I can sew. I can sew, but I can only sew one dress really well. And I decided to take a chance and do something that wasn't that one dress and try something else. And then it kind of, you know. It ended up. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one part of the sewing machine that I just like completely forgot how to like do, but like I'm I'm gonna learn eventually. Listen, I there's no judgment because watching the show, you get so tense. And when you look on stage with the things that you've created, it's like, wow, I couldn't even I can't even thread a needle. Um, but something happened the night that you were eliminated. If I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about it. Um but what happened when you were about to be eliminated? The, my panic attack? Is that what you're referencing? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for, for me, it was something, anxiety is something that I've really struggled with for um, the past couple of years. Like the past three years, it's gotten quite bad. Uh, and it just happened. There was just a lot of factors that just kind of um, sort of fed into it. Uh, I recently spoke with my therapist about it, and we sort of figured out the root to all of it and, and why I was so triggered in that moment. Um, but it was just one of those things where it was just like a series of things that had happened that day that had led to that moment Mm -hmm. and it happened. And I was just like, it wasn't something that I could necessarily control because in my mind, I was just like, I'm rather going to faint or I'm going to die. And I was just like, and I don't want to be the girl that faints or dies on the drag race stage. (laughs) And obviously those aren't realities, but those were what my mind had made up. Uh, so I just had to take control of the situation, calm down and then just sort of um, just let them, I just had to be vocal with my needs. I just had to be like, I just need a minute. I need a minute. I need to kind of center myself, uh, to back to where I need to be and pop back up. You were really graceful. Uh, you were grace under fire. And, um, I also felt like you don't be embarrassed because it felt like you were saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. You didn't want to be that person that everybody was like, you know, trying to help. So I thought that was really cool. Thanks. And, and definitely in the moment, it feels embarrassing. But then like looking back on it, it's it's something that so many people go through because I've had like so many people reach out to me about 
that they go through the exact same thing or their panic attacks look the same way. So it's it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just sort of something that you need to definitely seek help for because it's not something that is convenient in a daily life. Uh, but it's definitely something that you can work through and you can sort of find a way to uh, change it. And watching the show, there is a lot of competition, but I also get the sense there is a lot of community. Yeah. Yeah, because when you walk in, you're almost like, you see them as your competition, but you also see them as like sisters, right? Because you're all in this common experience together and you and you almost share this common thing that no one else really knows about except for the girls who have already been through it. But even with Canada, like no one's been through Canada before. No one's been through the very first season and this crew and, and, ever, and this production. So for us, we almost like immediately bonded and was just like, okay, we are a family now. Well, how does it feel to be part of that history? Cool. <laughs> really cool. Uh, but it still doesn't feel real uh, because we're not like doing these big grand things because of COVID. Yeah. So we're all just kind of still at home. So I think eventually it'll still, it'll feel like that real grand new reality that we're in. But right now we're just sort of in this like funky limbo. Mm -hmm. Well, on the show, um, when you were on four years ago, you mentioned that when you were traveling around Toronto, I know there's not a lot of traveling going on right now, um, but before all of this happened, uh, you said that you didn't feel safe uh, being on the subway or being in certain parts of the city. Do you still feel like that or, how, or has it gotten better? No, I still feel like that. That's 100% a, a very real thing is I like this, like just like this to go to work, I will never get on the subway and drag unless it's pride. I will never get on the sub, like, uh, like even walking in a space that isn't my own, I still have that sense mm -hmm. that I'm not in a safe area for me, mm -hmm. which is sad. And I hope that, and that may just be my own insecurities because I do know that there is a lot of girls who will go out and do that, but I have seen too many people um, get assaulted or robbed or hurt uh, when they're in drag. Um, and I just don't want that to be me. It seems like uh, to be visible, because you're, you're on the show, um, you do, you're on social media. It's important for you to be seen by other, um, other kids in the community. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. But, it, it, to, but to live your life uh, so outwardly is also to take a risk. Uh, and there's just certain risks that I don't want to take um, and other girls that can take them and they're brave enough and, you know, snaps to them. Great job. <laughs> but for me, it's just something that that is still something that I struggle with. But like you said it last time we spoke, just being here and being who you are is a political act in itself, right? Exactly. Just existing is great. Yeah. Juice, I wish we had more time, Juice Box. You look amazing. I love the freckles. Uh, thanks so much for chatting with us. And congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much. It was so fun. All right. Take care. Bye. The Agenda in the Summer with Nam Kiwanuka is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Ontario. CPA Ontario is a regulator, an educator, a thought leader, and an advocate. We protect the public. We advance our profession. We guide our CPAs. We are CPA Ontario. And by viewers like you. Thank you.